The following is a conversation with my best friend and one of the smartest human beings that I know, Marco Montodo. Together, he and I have worked creating most of the content that has come out on this YouTube channel over the years. He has been a driving force, an inspiration, and one of the greatest human beings you could ever possibly meet. This following conversation talks about our journey together, both as creators and as friends, and what we have learned along the way, as well as looking forward in terms of what we're going to do next. Please welcome Marco Montoto. Hello, Marco, and welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Excellent. Can you tell us where you are in the country right now? Um, I'm in the country, the United States. I'm in New York, New York. Um, do you want my postal code or is that too much? No, that's, that's plenty. Zero, zero, two, five. Yikes. Yikes. Somebody might hunt you down. I want to talk about gentle embers media and I wanted to, I thought it was a cooking show. That's why. Anyway, (laughs) sorry. Gentle embers media, gentle embers media of which you have been a part of former iterations for a very Mm -hmm. long time. Just two, just two names before gentle embers that I was involved in. So initially, it was, of course, Cousin Crew. Cousin Crew Productions. Because we're cousins. Because you and I are cousins, obviously. And then following that was the name uh, M to the... M to the fourth. M to the fourth Productions, which was really, really difficult to spell. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so Gentle Embers Media was decided upon as the name. It's the first one that's not a production. It isn't a productions. Yes, that's true. That's true. You know, we ran through, I've realized naming things can be one of the hardest steps in any process. And once you have a name, it feels so much more solid to do everything else. Yeah. But naming has been an issue the whole time. And Mm -hmm. I knew that Cousin Crew could not be the name forever. I hope the Gentle Embers Media. Oh, there was another name, a brief name that existed between M to the Fourth Productions and Gentle Embers Media. Do you remember what it was? Do I remember what it was? 30 seconds on the clock. Um, it existed for about a year. I don't know if any IP was released under this name. Year. I think I need another hint. I don't know why I don't remember this. It is. It only consisted of numbers. Oh, yeah. 2931. 2931 Productions. Productions. Yeah, yeah. And the I love that name. I registered with that name. I did not think that the SEO on having a series of four numbers that were had no significance to anyone else would would be good enough to actually launch a media company. Okay. Yeah. Because you start typing in two four nine three productions, you're like, that's not it. Wait, it's two right. two three nine one. Oh wait, that's right. Like because um, brains don't do numbers good as good as words they don't there's no association it's just random random information random data yeah but you've been with this company for a very very long time in different capacities this is true and so where do you feel like you started like i i'm curious what your first memory is of us working together my first memory i believe was uh the red crystal The feature film, yes. Yeah, the feature film, which I was just a a lowly little actor for. I was just the talent on screen. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it was your first original feature film or no? I think it was my... Because I know Munch Money and Wonka came out before that, but... Right, I made... Those were adapted screenplays. I made Willy Wonka when I was nine, 
Uh-huh. I made lunch money when I was 12. And then The Red Crystal was my first original film. It was also my first feature film, right? The other two okay, had been yeah, we're... far shorter. Short and this films. one was 90 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, which to think back of shooting 90 minutes worth of material at 14, I was 14, you were a little younger than that, is is kind of insane. Pretty ambitious. You were brought on at sort of the 11th hour to fill a role of another friend of mine who was going to play the part and backed out at the last second. Yeah. And I didn't really know you, but I knew of you. And so I called upon you and I said, hey, would you be willing to actually come out and shoot this? And to your credit, you like dove headfirst into the project. Yeah, yeah. You called me on a landline telephone. I remember picking up a landline telephone. That's how long ago this was. This is, this means we go way back, man. We go back. We go yeah. back to the landline days. Yeah. And what do you remember about that project? Because for me, I was writing, directing, kind of helming the ship on that one. What was your kind of experience of working on the Red Crystal? What, as far back as that was, it was just crazy. You know, it was unlike anything someone my age had experienced. You know, you don't see a lot of other people that age making movies that are full movies especially not in Ohio. It was very novel and fantastical in a way. And there were green screens. There were so many green screens. There were maybe too many green screens. But when you're a kid and you see a green screen, you're like, whoa, the possibilities are endless. We really used green screens in place of any texture. You know, it wasn't like we would put an actual world behind it. We would put like brick or Uh, stone or like metal or something. Yeah. And we weren't like far enough away from the green screen many times. We're like, if you stand a little bit ahead of the green screen, you can sort of create the illusion of depth, but we were right up against it. And it would like sway in the background when people moved. Yeah. We were shooting in a in a two-car garage of which yeah. half of half was full. And so we had basically the one car width, but we weren't mm-hmm. shooting long ways for some reason. We were shooting sideways. So the maximum width we had between the camera placement and the green screen was the space of a one car garage, which is probably like 11 feet or something. Like it was, it was a really narrow space. And we wanted all of the action to be able to take place in front of the camera between the camera and the green screen in that, in that tiny little space. So we learned a lot since then. We have learned a lot since then. I'm trying to think of what the next step in our I, evolution was. I feel like the next thing had no green screens right? or almost none. And what are you referencing as the next project that you and I worked on together? Was it not our Doctor Who? I think it might have been. I feel like there was, was a the film next big thing anyway. that I attempted to make after yeah. completing The Red Crystal called The Qualis in Search. It was supposed to be a sequel that didn't include any of the characters from the previous film. So it was a completely yeah. new world, but it failed very miserably. Like we just didn't mm. create, we were way too ambitious. And so we shot about a fourth of the film before one of the main actors backed out. We had a ton of technical problems on set and ended up just scrapping the project. It was the main actor, wasn't it? It was the or, main actor. Right, which is sort of, that's sort of a difficult one to work around. It is, it is. And I think because we were so young, right? Yeah. You were constrained to your parents driving you to the set, right? There was no, yeah. no one had a driver's license. No one could really get anywhere. We were like, it's actually kind of incredible to think about that we made these projects, given the fact that we couldn't even get to the set ourselves. So fast forward a couple of years, because there were I think there was a, a bit of a break between 
the red crystal. Maybe it was kind of a year off. Do you remember the story behind us creating the Doctor Who show together? Uh, I think you just got bored one summer and built the the TARDIS set in your garage. No, that is how I remember it as well. You just like started building things, and you're like, "Wow, this could be a show." I became obsessed with the BBC show Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and we had not filmed anything since the Qualitan Search, and I was getting a little antsy and started to build a set in my garage for a TARDIS, mostly just for my own enjoyment. Mostly just because I wanted to have a TARDIS set in my garage because I thought that would be cool. Fun little project. Just a fun little project. And then lo and behold, I at some point realized we should just film this. We should just make a Doctor Who fan series. But meanwhile, in all of this, you and I were becoming very good friends as well. Right. Because... I believe after we wrapped shooting The Red Crystal, you and I did a series of theater productions together at a local um, with the Parks and Rec Department. And I think we probably did three or four shows kind of over the course of that next year or two years. Something like that, yeah. And so we were spending a lot of time with each other, really getting to know one another. I feel like at that point. I think that's a fair assessment. So you and I were kind of getting to know each other. And then I had built this Doctor Who TARDIS set. And so did I pitch it to you that I say, hey, we should make a Doctor Who show? You did. You're like, let's make a Doctor Who show. I have a TARDIS. (laughs) In the garage. I was like, that makes sense. Let's do it. There was no hesitation on your part. No, yeah. <laughs> that all seems to make sense, you know? There he has the TARDIS. That all you got to do is write and find a couple actors. Which, like, to our credit, we did. I mean, it was... Yeah. That, Made, that uh, project was so much better um, than the Red Crystal. Like, it was just... we had leaps and bounds above it what was, we did on that yeah. first one and you can look back on that series now it's on the you know on the youtube channel still and there's lots of flaws with it of course but by comparison what a, what yeah, a crazy leap that we made between those yeah. shows the deltas <laughs> what do you remember about that show and making that show um it felt like almost gorilla-esque describe that like, uh me my actor actor side actor side actor supporting actor supporting that's the word and then you with like that camera and a a a wooden cage that you built (laughs) yeah that was pretty much it for most of filming other than you know the other actors would come in and out sometimes and do their thing but we would just go places with the camera and film and it kind of worked because of that and yeah it worked very well especially for what the show was because it was not overstaffed at all which meant it was very efficient. And the sorts of things we were shooting didn't need a crazy amount of setup or external you know, pieces. So it was just like very high energy because it was the, the three main, you know, the, the three main people and the crew slash cast clicking together. And yeah, it was just, we moved a lot faster than other productions. We shot so fast. It wasn't that bad either in terms of we were we were doing a lot of setups. We were doing a number of takes. We were shooting things mm-hmm. in different angles, but we we could just get through material so quickly. Yeah, and someone else could come in for a day and guest star on an episode, and we would shoot for six or eight hours with them, and then we were good. Like we we would get all the material we needed. What like five episodes of the first season, and then one episode of the second season. <laughs> Do you remember what happened with the second season? Yeah. We shot multiple parts of episodes and then you started editing it and you're like, wait a second, this is not correct. And the writing process, well, it's too late to fix it now. Let's just end it with our lead dying. 
that's exactly what happened we well so it was supposed to be a cliffhanger where he wasn't actually dead i well i think it is a cliffhanger if you watch the episode that's true so it is a cliffhanger but the relief never comes it's like shows that get canceled on a big cliffhanger except we cancel it ourselves um so fast forward to the next major project that we did right must have been banned for hire yeah yeah uh, banned for hire the greatest thing that never saw the light of day exactly we yeah. should describe this because i think well this is an insider thing that people know about the audience at large it just has no mm. idea what we're talking about when we talk about banned for hire because no part of this was ever released at all besides a single snippet on an old old episode of sam and Bishak. yeah well it was a sitcom it was like a, a true three camera sitcom with only two cameras um <laughs> A uh, nice cast of lovable rapscallions living in LA, trying to make it big as a, a rock and roll musician band. So it followed like three guys who were trying to be a band and they're two of their friends. We were the the two of the guys and we wrote it as a sitcom and we filmed it as a sitcom and it was, it was pretty good, we thought. But then it got uh, censored, hardcore censored, <laughs> because we were writing like themes, adult themes, but acting them as 15-year-olds. So there was a little bit of like cognitive distance whoa okay that seems a little strange yeah so it ended up just being like a a big learning experience sort of like a training like a class almost on like a a hands-on course of making something and then make a new skills well and i i do respect that we didn't release it because there were watching it back now there's some pretty severe sexual undertones yeah and everyone in the show is a minor. Yeah. Like every actor, every character is yeah, a minor. Yeah. No, the characters are adults. Oh, sorry. The characters are adults. Yes. But the, the actors are minors. We're the all actors playing, like, playing the characters are minors. Mid 20s year olds. But we're all like mid 15 year olds. It was almost like we were trying to write ourselves now. Yeah. And to our credit, it wasn't that bad of writing. Yeah, it wasn't that far off. And it was, you know, we had some good bits in there, but... Did not end up releasing it. No. But learned a ton, as you said, right? Like, that's... Yeah. I, I do feel like on Band for Hire, we learned so much about how to run a set. It was also another very yeah, yeah, efficient yeah. shoot because we shot five 25-page episodes over the course of six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good. And as exhausting as that was, it was also a really, really cool experience to make something on yeah. that scale. And cold. Describe. A cold experience. Oh, because... We were the- in a garage in the like winter fall region of the year, and there was no-, no heating. And we were all like, oh, well, they're supposed to be in LA, LA so they'll have to wear t-shirts all the time. Oh, it was... we. There was the one poor actress, Emma. She like nearly froze on that yeah. shoot. That was, that was rough. That was really rough. Yeah. Everyone was huddled around space heaters and the breaks between scenes. I forgot how cold it was. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was but bad. That's, what, that's you know, you can get away with stuff like that when you don't have unionized actors. And you use minors, right? Like if if as yeah. long as you don't have people over 18, it's a lot easier to kind of get away with that sort of thing. Yeah. So that that I think was sort of the majority of our of our kind of main path together in terms of big projects. Yeah, those are the, the big points. And between all of those were tons and tons and tons of small projects too. Yeah. I was Comedy looking short. back at, you know, we made a podcast years ago called the Cousin Crew Podcast. 
Well, I forgot of about which that. many episodes still exist. They're all unlisted or um, privated mm. on the channel, but there are I, I think provided a couple dozen episodes of the of the Cousin Crew podcast back yeah, in the day. We did, which was crazy. It was very crazy. We also during COVID tried to produce a show. We did, yeah, over the <laughs> summer. The opposite problem of Van for Hire, where it was super hot because we were in the same garage with our cooler. <laughs> we spent a but, lot of our childhood in that garage. Yeah. The other problem with that was that uh, we did it all, they had them all in long takes that were impossible to edit. And it was so slow. <laughs> it was so slow and not funny at all. We basically tried to make Good Mythical Morning and failed yeah. so bad. So bad. We should have, looking back, we should have made an episode, edited it, Watched it. See if it had the goods. Yeah, made adjustments. What to change? Yeah, right. And then shot again. But instead, we shot thirty episodes. Yeah, just in a row. Just all. Like we'll shoot them all first, and then edit them together, and it'll be fine. It'll be perfect. It was not. We're we're thinking ahead. We're thinking like business people. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That was bad. That was really bad. But also, again, a big learning experience. Yeah. But still, a good time. A good time. We hung out. It was fun. We played weird games. What do you think? You know, so you obviously, you and I made films together for a decade ish. We're coming up on it right now. We are, yeah. What do you see as sort of some lessons, overall pieces that you've learned in the course of that time? Some lessons. Well, there are a lot of technical lessons as as far as like you know, this is how you handle a set. This is how you handle actors, edit your things, have multiple people looking them over. You know, reflecting back on the last decade, right? And we go all the way from making something like The Red Crystal all the way through. Band for Hire. And then there were, you know, other, there was that short film that we did. Oh, yeah. Artistic Obsession. Artistic Obsession. There was, you know, you even worked on unnerved quite a bit the the film that came out a couple of mm-hmm. months ago yeah, but yeah. we shot we shot a year or two ago i i believe you worked on the film magnets that's going to come out at some point that we have shot so like you and i have worked together for a very very long time and i'm curious what you think about did that have an impact on your life are there things that you think about because of that work um yeah it definitely had an impact on my life it definitely opened up like a whole new world of skills and possibilities and interests that probably would not have gone into without that you know because I'm, I'm studying computer science right now i probably would have been more purely just like that sort of guy doing math all the time but now i'm thinking of more artistic things and i like a job a side job editing videos so that and that like you know very practical way it clearly affected my life but yeah it also gave me an appreciation i guess for for art and for good teams and good friendships because you know like I feel like we would not have been nearly as productive or successful or enjoyed our time making these things if we hated each other, you know, <laughs> we're like one of those teams. It was so, like know. a certain camaraderie in the work. We would hang out to do these projects, but really we we're just hanging yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. this great friendship as well, which is another great thing. It is funny, like talking to other people that had maybe more quote unquote normal childhoods that uh-huh. weren't, weren't spent sweating or freezing in a garage shooting video. Right. Like, I feel like there were a lot of really, really valuable 
pieces to doing that, right? Like actually being out there and actually like, we're going to make a thing. And then we yeah. actually do it. And often we fail. Like our, our batting average yeah. isn't, isn't, you know, a hundred percent. Like Not at all. we just ran through means. a bunch of projects that we never released and we could, you know, do a whole other podcast talking about the, the, the things that we had planned that just never came to fruition. Yeah. But you, you learn much more from those things than from either things that go well or things that you don't do at all, especially like, you know, it's all well and good to say, oh, this is what I will do. And this is how I'll do it to like study the particulars of it. But to actually go out and try it is, I think, a much more effective way to learn how to do it. Yes. I And I think there's a danger in that, too. Yeah. That because we didn't have kind of formal schooling in terms of how to go from concept to pre-production to production like like we didn't know what that path looked like that we would mess up a lot and probably built habits that are not they they could be healthier right like i found when i kind of went through a more traditional film school that there were a lot of Mm -hmm. pieces that i had to unlearn from my time making films myself in order to relearn a more correct way to do a thing right and i don't mean correct in like a a doctrine way of like just a, yeah just like this is like the way i've been doing it is not effective and this is the yeah. actual way that you're supposed to do it and this is why and like there's a really a good reason. reason right it's not like yeah. just a bullshit reason why right like there's there's actually is like oh this is why you should do a thing yeah i'm just curious like about you know you sort of mentioned a little bit how this impacts your life currently are these things that you think about a lot like this experience of like when we made all those films together um yeah to some degree they're definitely whisperings of it, you know, floating around in my head a lot. Like you said, it's a very non-traditional sort of childhood experience. And yeah, especially as I'm moving towards graduating college, thinking right. about what I want to do with my life, you know, right, it crops up in those internal conversations as well. Well, you mentioned earlier too, you know, you you are someone who, when they take a test, scores very highly on that test frequently when it comes to kind of traditional academic markers of excellence. Generally speaking, yeah. But I, I, I do think it is interesting that like we're in a place now where things like this, things like the arts are not seen as the smartest or right. like, like the brightest people aren't encouraged to go become filmmakers, right? They're yeah, encouraged yeah, yeah. to like be engineers or work on you know corporate finance right like there's there's sort of this ulterior path that like the artist is not seen as oh if you're very smart you'd be an artist yeah because they they tend to separate um i guess maybe because that's how it naturally occurs or maybe it's just how more efficient to see that way they tend to separate like the types of intelligence like artistic intelligence or you know stem-based intelligence and the assumption i guess tends to be that if you're good really good at stem stuff uh, then you won't be good at art. Or if you're good at art, then you won't be good at STEM stuff. So I feel like, you know, if you show, and, and they, because STEM fields are more directly impactful to, like visibly impactful to the world or generate more profit or whatever, they look out for those markers, you know, much more than they look out for artistic markers. So I feel like that sort of contributes to the, uh, what you're saying about the encouragement of leading those people into engineering disciplines or finance disciplines or that sort of thing. It it is like there's this lack of focus on the on the artistic intelligence and like 
pushing that as something that is a viable path in life right we'll because like it is harder like it's it's not it harder. It's, it's not <laughs> the amount of artistic positions that will get you make you a good living are far smaller than the amount of like computer science jobs or the amount of sales jobs or the amount of finance jobs that exist right that's definitely true yeah especially but, these days when people don't want to pay for art anymore i want all of the music that exists but i want it for free mm, oh like, sure I want, pay, I want to pay two dollars a month for this album uh that took you you know two years of your life to make and also every other album that everyone else has ever made in their life you know right like oh, i want to stream for free or for a very low cost but. yes yes right and we're seeing this in music we're seeing it in film with streaming we're seeing it with everything yeah. that like people just want access they don't want to pay for the art they're not willing to actually pay yeah and so the model i feel like has changed from like you actually pay for it to having more of an advertising based approach to this stuff uh-huh. which uh you know is fine but it also it leads then to people being incentivized to you know do things that are going to be advertiser friendly and then like catering to the advertisers and then suddenly your your customer your the viewer of the art is the product and the um your customer is the is the ad seller right as opposed to actually selling directly to a consumer which is a bummer i feel like but i mean at the same time we also do live in a world now where it is far more accessible to i to think create. to create and to make a living creating too right yeah. like there there are more avenues than there ever have been for that to happen that's true yeah back in the day there was like three tv stations you know like three radio stations and like one theater in the city right and that's it like literally that's it and so yeah. the people that make it are only the ones that actually go through that process and actually make it so yeah, I mean, it's it's bizarre, right? Like, there's this kind of, like, tension between, like, people not wanting to pay for it, but also we being in an age where there's so much, there's so much creativity, but there's also, dude, I was writing an essay about this a couple of days ago. Like, have yeah. you fallen into the side hustle realm of, like, vertical video and, like, TikToks or Instagram reels? Have you seen these? I see the ads for them. Like, no, I skipped them in five seconds, but. There's all these videos of people telling you how to make an extra whatever, 10 grand a month on your side hustle, yeah. right? These like crazy promises on side uh-huh. hustles. And they're all really like at best, they're mediocre ideas, right? Uh-huh. So they're like, go to this website and sign up to be like an affiliate marketing person for this product. And then like create images of the product and put them on Pinterest and then link to those link to the product and then when people click on the pinterest link they're going to get affiliate marketing from you yeah. right and so like you do this and then you know some people get really lucky and they actually do make money most people make a couple of pennies off of this kind of thing right but there's thousands and thousands of videos of people explaining these side hustles right and what i realized is that the side hustle is not the thing it is the video about the side hustle that then has 80,000 likes on it right like they're making money talking about something that doesn't exist when in reality like the thing that they're talking about is the thing that's making the money does that make sense yeah 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 and 
the most ludicrous thing is like I just saw so many people that were literally advocating for stealing in these. Are you where me? What? this so okay so this was the one that I, it made me want to write this essay and maybe I'll release this essay somewhere. The person suggested, and I wish I could find the video, but it was like in that feed of like a million vertical videos mm-hmm. that you'll never find again, right? They suggested that the way to become popular on YouTube is to take go find a popular YouTube video. Mm-hmm. transcribe that video go to a website where an ai will rewrite text in different words yeah have the ai rewrite the text of that video in different words pay someone on fiverr to record reading that text of that video then go on midjourney and create images to go along with that text or some other like image aggregate Put the images next to the audio that you recorded from someone on Fiverr and post it on YouTube. Okay. Wow. Like just that's, directly stealing. Yeah. That's a little crazy. Does that work? Oh, I, one, I bet it doesn't because it like yeah, captures it, it captures the idea of the video, but it doesn't capture why. Like you don't know why that video did well. Like it probably wasn't. Yeah. And like maybe there were good ideas in it, but it was probably the personality of the person and the way it was told and the way it was edited. Like right. there's probably a million other reasons why. But I was just shocked mm-hmm. that like literally the the big breakthrough skill of this is like steal it, just take that, it. Yeah. Like that feels insane to me. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm crazy, but that that just blew a gasket yeah, in me where crazy. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, what yeah. are you what are you saying? You want people to just to steal? Is that what you want? Yeah. It's crazy that, you know, with the level of technology is right now, that that is not immediately evident as stealing where it's like, would get taken down or like, you know, you, you could get away with this potentially. But yeah, literally like taking an intellectual property. Yeah. Just augmenting it enough, not so that it's your own, but so that the author does not recognize it or the algorithm does yeah. not recognize it. And then trying to pass it off as your own. Yeah. We live in this place now where because you can make money down these avenues, people are going to do it through the dirtiest means necessary. Right. I feel like the person who posted that video is a voiceover artist on Fiverr. Ah! <laughs> they might be. They might be. That's my theory. Well, I mean, that video I remember had thousands and thousands of views. Like it wasn't, you know, people saw yeah. this like, oh, a great idea. No, it was it was mainstream, which yeah. is crazy. There's this duality too that I I think that so many people on social media miss, where there's I because I get all these videos all the time about like how to build your algorithm, how to build your audience, how to like how mm-hmm. to grow on YouTube, the top ten hacks to grow on YouTube, right? What are and there, what are and the there, top ten hacks? Well, there's one hack. Oh, okay. And it's what is the one hack? Does it pay someone to have your video be suggested? <laughs> it's make great videos. Oh, that's not a hack. It's not a hack because everything like else should be doing. Well, everything else is failure, right? All of these other yeah. things are just trying to shortcut to actually making great videos. But in reality, yeah. like when you look at all the stuff that we made, right? We made a bunch yeah. of films. But if we really objectively look at them, not as films that we made, but as films someone else made, uh-huh. is it shocking that none of them blew up? Not really. Like they kind of got the that Doctor Who show got like two thousand views for its first episode. Yeah, that's cool. That's great, but that's also like 
that feels in proportion to the quality that it was. Yeah. You know, people want all of these views and they think that they deserve all of these views, but they're creating shitty content most of the time. Yeah. And even when I look at the work that we've done in the past and, you know, have these moments where I feel like deserving of more than what we have, it's like, bro, like you probably, you got exactly what you, you, you know, gave in and you need to make better videos. You need to make better stuff. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have any, anything novel to add to that. <laughs> how is, how is New York city? So you're, you're in, you're in New like York city. Ma- Manhattan, in New York city, Manhattan, which is in New York city. It's like the Island. Right. Yeah. What um, can, what, not in the Staten Island. Yeah, right. What what have you seen? What what's been going on in in New York? These I haven't seen many of the things. I have not seen the Statue of Liberty yet up close. I've seen it like from the train to Brooklyn, but other than that, I haven't seen it. I haven't been on the Staten Island ferry, um, but I've seen the Empire State Building from the outside. Did and we I've not go the on the Staten Island ferry? And I've seen the Times Square. We did not. We went on the Governor's Island ferry. Oh, got it. Got which it. Is to a different island. And when I went to Staten Island, I took the bus. I have not made it to that ferry yet. What have I seen? A lot of people. I was here in the summer for the first time. There are a lot of people here, and there's a lot of uh, trash on the streets. And are you enjoying it? Like, what are what are some of the pros cons that you're feeling it about New York right now? There are ups and downs. You know, it's always alive, which is nice. Like, if you go out at any hour of the night, there will be other people around. It's fun to see. I feel like it's not as sleepless as people would say it is. Maybe I just haven't found the right the right parts yet. Right. And maybe it like sort of it's still recovering from COVID a little bit. But sure. It's, it's it's got some charm as New York City, but I don't think it's for me because it's it's a little too cramped for me. You spent some time in New York now. Where yeah. do you feel drawn to at this point in your life? The West Coast. Yeah. Where the sun is always shining. No, um, yeah, I probably not New York. I feel like I don't know. It's not for me. But I, I feel like I need somewhere with more space. And I do like warm weather. So probably either the uh, the West Coast or maybe somewhere in the middle. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. I'm fine for you to move back here. I like. Yeah, I know you are. I, I, I don't think I'm going to be successful anytime soon. But I am going to yeah. I am going to campaign for you to move back here. This is this is my job or my my goal is to be able yeah. to offer you a job at this company. So early days, right? If anyone's listening to this podcast in, let's say, three years from now, hopefully. Gentle Embers yeah. Media, big name for itself. It's got a chick going on. We're making a bunch of movies. We're releasing a bunch of stuff. I would love for... I, I feel like you would be such a powerful player in this game and, and running running a company like this. That'd be pretty cool. And it would be sweet. Like, we could we could still make, you know, we, we, we yeah. could make some of the same old we stuff that we make. used to make. Yeah, but newer. Newark. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I want to remake the Band for Hire show. That's yeah. that's well, on my it. docket as like that's something we have like you know, regardless of where yeah. you live, we're, yeah, we're yeah, flying yeah, you yeah, in. Yeah. We're gonna remake this show. Right. Yeah. Which um do you have some minors lined up? <laughs> no, all adults. <laughs> all adults. Can I make them kiss on a couch after drinking vodka? Not real vodka, of course. But. It was yeah, it was water and the kiss was uh the kiss was real, I guess. Kind of. As much as like a stage kiss is real. Right. I, I want to remake this show. I, I feel like yeah, there's, no, there's it has promise potential. in it. I feel like it has potential. Different premise. As same a concept. Characters. Yeah. Yeah. I as think like a high concept. I, the, one of the issues with that show 
is that you and I wrote each other really, really strong. Like we wrote, yeah. we wrote, I wrote, we knew each other. I wrote lines for you and you wrote lines for me that were really good. Yeah. And then we couldn't just have a sitcom with two people. We thought, right. Which honestly we probably should have done. Uh, That'd be interesting. Cause who's done that before? Who's done two people. Yeah. As the only two characters on a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, has anyone? We would be the first. We might be the first. Yeah. It could be entertaining yeah, though. Like some new wave French one. But I don't. I don't think the French make sitcoms. You know, they probably consider it a sitcom, but it's, you watch it and you're like, what? And then all a guy kills himself about. in the third episode. And you're yeah, like, oh god, what? About how fleeting life is. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a French. We should make a French sitcom. That'd be a good. <laughs> yeah. Good we're still to allowed to make fun of the French, you know. Like we can still yeah. we could do French acts. Are you're kind of French, right? Yeah, I'm a little French. You're a little French. I'm a little French. Like a French name. Yeah, I'm like a 16th French. I think that it would be okay. I think we could tap into our French roots and make a French-inspired sitcom that has one joke per episode and everything else is about the bleakness of life and the impending doom that death is crawling upon all of us. Yeah, that'd be pretty great. But no, I, I think that, you know, Gentle Embers Media, so like the future of this company, I feel like there is a pretty good market for what we're trying to do, right? Like, and I'm, yeah. I'm curious what, what your opinion is about this. Like, I have been trying for the last year to define why people watch entertainment. Right. And I'm putting you on the spot if I ask you this question. So I'll, I'll give you a second to think about it. But the reason that I've been asking this question is because with most marketing things, when you talk about like the marketing of a specific product, you have to understand the reason, like the problem that the audience is or the customer is facing and then how your product solves that problem. And I have spent a really long time kind of thinking about entertainment and I still don't know if I have a real solid answer. I have a lot of little answers, but I don't Mm -hmm. know if I have a real solid answer in terms of why people watch entertainment. You're trying to find the black and white version of the black and white section of the infomercial for entertainment. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I'm I'm trying to see like why, like what is it that people are trying to escape? Is it just reality? Like, do people want to like exist somewhere else? Or are they trying to like I think so? I think that's part of it. Reality yeah. is pretty tough sometimes. It is. You know? It can be hard. It can be a it can be a rough space. You want to escape into something different different yeah even if it's not light it's it's different you know yeah which is like a weird product to market if like you know what i mean like i'm not solving like you know your pipes leak here's this putty that you put on your pipes to stop them from leaking right it's like it's so abstract to go people want to escape their reality or they're bored or they're like don't they like they, they want this like alternative universe to exist in and trying to create that's been it's an odd problem to try and solve. You could get in contact with the people who did the marketing for heroin. They did a good job. I mean, heroin yeah, works great. It's everywhere. People love Ohio. it. <laughs> Ohio people love heroin, man. It's crazy. It's an escape, I hear. That is an escape, right? Yeah. Or like, why do people love scrolling through social media, right? That's a, that's a good question. And it's like, it's dopamine hits, right? Your brain is like yeah, getting yeah. dopamine from it. But why, right? Why? 
it doesn't feel immediately apparent to me. You know why? Like yeah. me watching videos where it's like, this is how I raise my chickens. And then like a guy reading a poem that he wrote. And then like a woman yeah. on a bike with like music playing over. Like why, why do yeah. all of those videos, like why did those spark dopamine in my brain? And then someone eating McDonald's for a day. Just yeah, they're like, I'm just eating McDonald's for a day. In Russia. Yeah. Right. Like, why do I care about Russian McDonald's? But I kind of do. Like, I, I yeah, would watch that video, probably. You're not going to go there yourself, probably. I found a guy on Instagram recently who reviews beers in 12 packs. So he <laughs> reviews the beer <laughs> after. <laughs> he drinks. He drinks Was one he of the beer. Review after each beer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he'll have a beer, give it a review, and then he'll come back at four beers, at eight beers, and at 12 beers in and oh give God. his, like, continued review of the beer. And What's the best scoring beer you've seen? I saw a Miller Lite got, like, a 7.5. Okay. Which I thought, like, was pretty fair. Um, I haven't fully explored his his channel. I need to, I need to go a little deeper. Yeah. Uh, but, like, that's so wildly entertaining to me. Like, why do I want to yeah. just watch this guy who I don't care about at all? Like, I don't have any emotional connection to him, but he's just him. like some like friendly looking frat guy who just drinks beer. Yeah. What is it? What is it about? Me? And maybe there's a million things that are happening at once, but I do find it really like an interesting question to be asking as I'm creating. Like, why, why do people want to watch this? Yeah. Probably goes to some sort of primal craving for connection right mm. to some degree at least like you feel connected to this man and his beers right or maybe it's some sort of surrogate fulfillment surrogate fulfillment yeah like he's doing the beer testing but if you're seeing watching him you're sort of testing the beers yourself right like, huh, i have tested these beers what's it called where you're living through someone else's eyes vicariousness yeah, I don't think there's an isness at the end. It's just like vicarious, right? I believe so. Yeah, like that idea, I think, was really what drove like the vlogging era of YouTube was all of this, like, yeah. I want to live vicariously through the lives of other people. Right. And I want to see them when they're happy, when they're sad. But like, what, what is their existence like? And maybe that's the same reason. Do you watch any of those um, Netflix dating shows? I have been sucked in by oh, my yeah. girlfriend. Uh, and we oh, just man. watch, this we just watch. Not the place for that conversation. <laughs> we just watch, we just watch the show, The Ultimatum. The Ultimatum? Marry or that move on. Like, oh, okay. And the premise like of the show. I feel like I can guess from the title, Ultimatum, what, Marry or Move On. What, what do you believe, how do you believe the show works? You get a a a, a fellow and a lady because that's yeah that's usually how these shows work, um, and then they meet, and uh, they have I'm guessing they have a week together, and at the end of the week they have to decide. All right, it's probably the the onus is probably on one of them, presumably the man because to be honest that's how these shows work, um, and he has to decide at the end of the week whether he wants to marry her or move on and see if he can get a better one. <laughs> that that would be a really interesting show. I I like cuz that that's not it? No, that's that's like double or nothing, right? Like that's like uh it feels like a gambling show almost. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No. In that, box number 3, we have Sherry. <laughs> um 
this show is they have a couple who's been together for a while. Oh, no. And one member of the couple has given the other one an ultimatum to get married. Oh, no. And then they all meet, and then they do a partner swap with somebody else. So there's like eight couples or four couples or something. So there's like eight people. So then they all swap partners for three weeks to see if they actually want to marry the person or if they like being with someone else. And then they come back together for three weeks. And then at the end, they either decide to propose or not to propose to the person. Wow, that's so much crueler. (laughs) These are like established relationships that they're picking apart on national television. Man, there was one that they had been together since they were 16 years old. They were the only people they had each dated. Oh, no. How old were they? They were like 23 or something right okay okay so they weren't at least they weren't like 32 no no they yeah they'd been together for like seven years that's still a long time it is a long time wow did they stay together they did they did stay together okay yeah we were very surprised it was i i believe they're still together oh that's nice because of course these shows finished filming like a year ago get a prize like what's the motivation to go marriage lifetime of I don't even think they're that famous. Their Instagrams didn't have that many followers. Yeah, but you know, if you're on the TV, you can tell your friends you're on the TV and that makes you feel good. (laughs) Maybe that's it. I mean... Wasn't that the whole plot of... um, uh, What was the one with when Jared Leto was a a druggie? Dallas Buyers Club? Darren, Darren Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky. What about Darren Aronofsky and Jared was, Leto? He made the movie. He made the movie. It was called. What was it called? I don't have. I maybe I haven't seen this movie. It was Marlon Wayans and Jared Leto. And they're in a movie and together. His mom got addicted to speed. Okay, I don't. Because she wanted to be on the TV. Requiem for a Dream. Oh, okay, gotcha. That's what it was called. She wanted to be on the TV. So she'd feel good about herself. Because obviously so that she, solves all your problems. So she got addicted to speed because she was, she, she, she thought she was fat. Oh, was she? Not really. She was just like a lady. Yeah. Oh, weird. But she had put on some pounds so she couldn't fit into like the dress she wore at his high school graduation. So. This is mom? Yeah. Interesting. I've, I've never seen this movie. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's okay. I won't tell you any more then. I should watch it, probably. You should, if you're in the mood for it. I, I've heard it's sad, which is why I probably haven't seen it. I don't, I don't always... Here's the thing, man. I've heard it's the saddest movie ever, and you can't watch it more than once, or it'll just be too sad. And then I watched it, I was like, I could probably watch it again. <laughs> you know, it was kind of sad, but I don't want to spoil anything. But it, it gets, like, kind of crazy to the point where I'm like, okay, sure. It's like bending reality a little bit of like, ah, I don't know if this would happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a very good movie. It's very, it is very sad and soulful, I guess. Sure. Devastating is another word that would be used. Probably. Got it. Got it. But um, great acting also. Brilliant acting and direction. Like Darren Aronofsky. I mean, he's fantastic. I do know from The Whale. I do know from The Whale. I don't know if I've seen his other stuff. 
He did Black Swan. I love Black Swan. Black Swan gave me nightmares. Black Swan, I have not seen. Highly recommend it. But why is something like that entertaining? Like, why do people want to watch? I know. But they do. And you do. And I do. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not. There's this, like, human thing where we want to. We want entertainment, but it doesn't even necessarily mean the entertainment is like happy or makes us laugh. Like no. we just want to be entertained. We just want to feel something. You know, we just want to feel something. You sound like a jaded cowboy in the third act of a Western. I just want to feel something again. <laughs> like drinks unlabeled whiskey in front of a campfire. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like, and, and maybe it's not a problem that needs solving that I, I need to know the answer to or anything like that. But it definitely, you know, when I go into this realm of like making entertainment and actually making stuff that I feel like people mm-hmm. want to watch, I feel like I want to know the answer in terms of like, why, why do people find it entertaining? I'd tell you what, if you found out the definitive answer, I bet you could get a PhD. I don't even have a master's. Where would I get a PhD from? I don't know. One of those schools. I just tell them. I go, I have an answer, guys. Yeah. And then they give it to I me. I figured it out. And then you show them a thesis. That's not how it works. You write a thesis. I really, I do not understand how PhDs work. But my understanding, as limited as it is, is that you kind of just work really, really hard and hope. Like, that's what it yeah. feels like all that there is in PhD, the PhD process. Because they have to review your work. It's not guaranteed, right? Right. It's not like if you get these credits, then you get the degree. Yeah. You have to be like, this is what, these are my findings. And then a, a group of other people at the university will be like, okay, sure. Or no, try again. And then you have to go <laughs> labor in the library for three more years. Final thoughts. Let's, let's talk about the, let's talk about the new movie. Briefly. The new movie. The new movie. The uh, the uh, the Thanksgiving. Movie. I'll see you on Thanksgiving. I'm curious what your thoughts have been about okay. this film, where yeah. where you're at with it. So you're listed as an executive producer on. I'll see you on I Thanksgiving. Am listed as an executive producer, and you are an executive producer. I did some, I did some light consulting. Yes, but also um, you have kind of laid laid the groundwork of everything that came before this film as well. That's so. true. Yeah, and literally the bathroom behind you, I laid the ground in. Right. Yes, you you did. You did. Thank you for that. No, it's it's really an interesting big step because it's another feature film. Right. Um, but it like you can clearly see the culmination of I don't want to use the word culmination, it's some sort of final. But, right. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Accumulation the, or yeah. The ac- accumulation, the acumen that uh, that's how sure. acumen is used. But of, of all the, the lessons and mistakes we've made being corrected. So it like, you know, it looks and feels like a, a real movie. Not to, to be corny, like I say it wouldn't, but, you know, which is sort of crazy because it was like, you know, some actors who volunteered their time. Some right. Some crew people who volunteered their time. And then just like, what, used one camera in Columbus, Ohio? Pretty much, yeah. And we made a full movie in twelve days. Twelve, twelve days. In twelve of days. Yeah, yeah. Of shooting. of shooting, there was editing and writing around that, but twelve days of shooting, which is pretty astonishing. And is there but, a latitude to go up? Sure. Yeah, yeah, but it's like again the deltas between projects 
like yeah. pretty crazy. I yeah. do. I do feel like everything that we've made has prepared us to make the next thing. Yes. And even yeah. when we fail, like the preparation and the work that we did still allowed us. I still like yeah. we we still got those lessons to move on to the next project because like ultimately those early things no one's going to watch them anyway yeah and so there's probably lessons we learned on band for hire that it got applied to this film for sure for sure yeah one of them actually that wasn't for band for hire but maybe for dr Hughes and us being you know don't write massive set pieces if you don't have access to them yeah. You know, it's sort of this movie supports a, a theory I've had for a while, which is, I mean, it's not my theory in any way. It's very derivative. It's very, actually, probably a lot of people think this, but my my opinion, I guess, my stance where I stand, which is that the most important thing is just the characters and their journey. Right. Like, that's all you really need to have a good movie. Right. And you, you, need, you need the technical aspects to not distract from it. But you need to have good characters who are compelling and have a, an interesting journey. Which yes. I think the movie does. And I feel like each project that we did, we've tried to grow on, like that, that's been kind of a central thing that we've talked about for a while. Right, right. Like, can we just make people that are interesting on screen? Yeah. And put them on some adventure that is fun to watch. Fun to watch, yeah it's weird to make films and it's weird to make feature ones in particular, just because it's so much material and you really don't know yeah. until you're in the edit, whether you've actually made something decent or not. But right. I do, I am excited for people to see this one. Like I do feel, I do feel good about the work that everyone did. And like you said, everyone donated their time and energy and effort to make this thing happen. And I, it's kind of amazing that they did that because of the quality that came out of it. Like it, I do feel like, right. People put it in a, a paid amount of quality for the work. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel free. No, no. At all. Which I think is the goal. I think that's like one of the big goals. For sure, yeah. But making something at this scale, it is necessary to have other people that yeah. are helping you out. Like if you're going to yeah, do yeah, a yeah. hundred pages of material, it's like you got you to gotta have a team in place to make that happen. Unless you're doing like a really experimental film. Yeah. Yes. Right, right. But I'm I'm excited to show it. I really hope you know we've talked about trying to do something in New York. So I really hope we can get yeah, get it we get a New York cool. screening happening. I, I want people everywhere to see this film. I'm very proud of the yeah. work that we did on it, and I want I want the actors to really get the recognition that they deserve for the work that they did and the crew yeah. and like and crew. people just put so much of themselves into it with this promise, you know that you know your name is attached to this. Like this is something that you can hold as a badge of the work that you've done for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I and I really want people to be able to take full advantage of that. Cool, cool. Well, I'm excited for the future of this company. I do hope that you'll continue to be a face that appears um me too. As we as we move forward. You know, I I've made I made a video a couple of months ago on Sam and Meshach about Rooster Teeth. I don't know if you caught it. Bertie Burns in particular. Okay. Yeah. Um but you'll remember back to when we were kids and I really, really enjoyed yeah, yeah, the company yeah. Rooster Teeth. And I like their business model of like, let's create cool stuff and then let's show you how we did it and like kind of bring you as a partner behind the scenes to watch that happen and basically right. create a production company that's full of people that like make the stuff, but also show like are also the personalities in the thing. Like I like this idea mm -hmm. of kind of it being an all encompassing thing. And yeah. so 
right now with GE, like that is the goal with what we're creating. Like that's the goal is to create something that like has the people that actually make it are also the people on camera and we can kind of like trade roles um, and make, make things that are cool. Yeah. And we can just get some good general electronics out there into the world. (laughs) That see the downfall of names, the downfall of names comes back around nice very different logo very different logo i don't think anyone's gonna get concerned or confused yeah do you have any final thoughts today mr montoto drink water enough water in the day and then you should be fine wow all right well thank you very much floss always floss i appreciate i appreciate it marco thank you so much for being on the program um, Hold on to the people in your life because that's what really matters. Oh, that was really lovely. Thank you. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and I'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Yeah, see you next time. Uh, sorry. You, I mean, you won't. I won't. <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe I'll be watching. <laughs>